quiet, please. Quiet, please. Tonight we have a story about time travel. One conundrum with going back in time is figuring out how it affects the present. Or have our actions on our temporal journey already affected our future? Foley Mara Studios presents Quiet Please, which is written by Willis Cooper and directed by Chuck and Megan Mara. Quiet Please for tonight is called not enough time. Wait just a minute, will you, please? I gotta bust this thing. Only a minute. <sighs> so that's that. That's $1,646 worth of junk in four years of work. And here's a bale of notes that the editor of Astonishing Stories would give his eye teeth for. He ain't gonna get them. <laughs> yep, that is strictly that. It was a time machine. Yeah, one of those gadgets to travel in time. You know, turn it on and it takes you back 50 years and so on. You know, like alley-oop in the funny paper. Like the stories H.G. Wells wrote, you know. Yep. This was the dial you set for how far you wanted to go in time. This was the cucamulator. Here's a piece of the... Well, never mind what it was. It's none of your business. Oh, I sure wish I hadn't monkeyed with the time machine. Oh, this one worked. Sure, that's the matter. See, it worked. Well, I don't want any part of time machines. Not after what happened to me with this one. You can make one for yourself if you want to, and if you can, but you're not going to get any help from me. Oh, they can be made, all right. Me, I'm just a bumble-fingered mechanic out of a garage, and I made one. But, but I'll give you my first and last piece of advice, Buster. Don't you do it. I saved up my dough. In working around a garage, I could glom onto a gadget here and there that Cliff Oswald didn't know about. And I had a lathe there and some other machinery, and I did the rough hand work there, see? Then when I quit and rented this old busted down farmhouse out here on Cemetery Road, I bought some more machinery, see? Stuff for precision work, and some stock piece of iridium from that fountain pen factory in Ford Madison, Iowa, two or three polystyrene plastics that they made for me in Parlin, New Jersey, special crown glass prisms I made here in town, and some other stuff. Well, Clyde, a quite a lot of other stuff, and try and find out what it was. You'd be surprised how easy it is to drop out of sight in a small town. This place here is way out in the sticks, past the cemetery, off in a side road that nobody's used for 20, 30 years. And I done all my shopping in Peoria, instead of here in Pekin, and I never went downtown or anything, so nobody knew I was here. It was just that easy. I put in nearly four years, like I said, and then all of a sudden the doggone thing worked. I was just sitting here and it, and I turned it on, say, j j just like that, it was raining. 
Well, the sun was shining bright when I turned it on, and for a minute I couldn't figure it out. Then I remembered it rained the day before, and by golly, it was the day before, right then. How do you like that? Well, I stayed in yesterday for ten minutes, and then tick! We came back, and the rain stopped, and the sun was shining again, and it wasn't even damp outside. Well, I'm not going into a lot of details that you wouldn't understand if I told them to you, but the net of the thing was I decided I'd really try it out. But really, and that's the story. Supposing you intended to take a trip back 50 years in time, how'd you prepare for it? Well, I'll tell you what I did. First, I studied an old history of Tazewell County, paying particular attention to 1897, 50 years ago. Shows I would make many more bobbles than necessary. I picked out a place on a map where there wasn't any trees in 1897. I didn't want to find myself hanging from somebody's apple tree when the thing stopped. Then I bought my equipment. I got me a revolver and a camera and a flashlight and some aspirin and, and I was fixed. I moved the gadget out in the back lot where the map said there wasn't any trees 50 years before. And I set it back to 50 years and I was reaching for the release when I got a sudden fast thought. There I was, dressed in a double-breasted gray suit with white stripes and a blue sport shirt and a pair of brown and white shoes. It was the shoes, I guess. I looked down at him and I said, Holy Moses, would I be a number in 1897 in this outfit? They'd throw me in the can before I could say howdy. I mean, imagine. So I quick disconnected the machine from my wrist and I put it back in the house and I jumped in the car and beat it for Peoria and a theatrical costume house. They thought I was nuts, but I got the rig that I was looking for. How you like it? This here brown derby's a dinger, ain't it? Even with the dent in it. And get a load of the shoes. Buttons. And you know what? There ain't any place you can buy a button hook today. Well, anyway, you want to hear the story? I got the machine out again and said it. And I took a long breath. And I said, Well, kid, hold your hat. Here we go. And I pressed the button. My golly, I thought I heard somebody calling me. There couldn't have been. You, hold up your hands there. You hear me? What? Now look with that gun, Buster. You hold up your hands or I'll be forced to shoot. Who do you think you are? Uh, you'll find out soon enough. You just keep your hands up now, you hear me? This is a fine way to welcome a stranger, bud. This is the way I welcome strangers all the time. Now... Don't give me any sass, neither. Tell me, who are you? My name's Walter McCoy. What are you doing here? I'm a... I'm a visitor. Hmm. Visiting who? Why, uh... Visiting... Uh... The sheriff. Oh, the sheriff, huh? John Stout. Well then, pleased to meet you. Huh? Well, I'm John Stout, stranger. Well... My golly. And you sure are going to visit me. Come on now. March. You see? Smart guy, me. <laughs> I told you I studied the history of Tazewell County till my head hurt, and the only name 
I could think of when this guy popped up from behind a fence was the sheriff's. Well, John Stout marched me over to a horse and buggy and he buttoned me to a stanchion with the biggest pair of rusty handcuffs I ever saw. And he said, get up, Queenie, and away we went to the jailhouse. And my time machine, lying on the ground out there two miles from where I was looking out on an ironed barred window. And it was all set to come back to 1947 in just 24 hours. Whether I was there or not. (laughs) Ah, you like that. I had a very pretty picture of me getting a 50-year jail sentence. And getting out of Joliet just in time to come back to the house out on Cemetery Road and pick up where I left off. Only at the age of 76. Instead of 26. Very pretty, huh? Yeah. That's what I thought. Well, they had me up before Judge Curran good and fast, but try as they could, they couldn't get anything on me. Horse stealing. I didn't steal any horses. Lurking and lying in wait? I was just standing there. Uh, disturbing the peace. Uh, no, I didn't say a word. Disorderly conduct. Well, I said to myself, I'll buy that. It can't be a jail sentence for disorderly conduct, and I've got three or four hundred dollars in my pocket, and I can afford the fine. But I got to get out of here. So I paid off $10 in costs. $11.96. Sure. Sure. I'd remember to get some old-sized bills all kind of dirty, figuring they wouldn't examine the bills close enough so I could get away. If I got in a jam, see? Before anybody looked at the dates. Uh Uh-huh. I was a smart kid. It says here. By this time, I've got a lot less than 24 hours before the old machine takes off, and I'm beginning to get a small order of goose pimples on the back of my neck because I'm not exactly sure where the darn thing is. After all, I'd never been here before. Except 50 years later, see? And if I miss the thing, oh, man. I thought, though, I'd kind of case the town a little bit, so if I wanted to come back... You know? I walk up Court Street a block, and there on the corner of 5th is Bill Kelly's livery stable, where Conigan's Ford Agency is now, right across the street, practically, from where I used to work for Cliff Oswald. There's nothing but a vacant lot there. So I go into the stable and hire me a rig. Get me! Hire a rig? (laughs) And pay in advance and take off. You ever driven a horse and buggy? Man, I was all over the lot, but I got out of there after a fashion. Out where I thought I'd love the machine. So I tied the horse to a tree. Somebody'd come and get him, I figured. And he could eat grass. That is, if horses eat grass. And I started looking. It was just a great big field, see? No landmarks of any kind. I got more and more panicky because that old clock was going around and round. Then I saw a hole in the ground. A big hole. 
Dirt piled up around it and out of the corner of my mind, I sort of remembered seeing it when I landed when Stout grabbed me. All of a sudden, I had it. This old house I worked in was about 50 years old. By golly, this was the foundation for it that somebody was digging. Well, sure, I found the machines easy, south of the excavation, about 50 yards, lying there, taken away as if nothing happened. Oh, boy! I said, oh, boy. I practically kissed the thing. And then I jumped about six feet in the air. What are you doing on our land, young man? Wow. There was the most beautiful girl in the world. Just the most beautiful girl I've ever seen. Red hair, no makeup, natch. And I tell you, she looked beautiful even in an 1897 outfit. A brown dress down to her ankles. A white shirt waist with big red polka dots on it. And a hat that looked like a dog's dinner. And she still looked wonderful. She pointed those big blue eyes at me and she said again, What are you doing on our land? And when I could get my breath, I said, Who are you, lady? My father and I merely happen to be the owners of this land. That's all. Well, I was... I mean... Lady, I'm sorry. You're trespassing. I'm sorry. I... I used to live there, there in that house. Uh, I, I used to live there in that house you're going to build. What? I mean, I'm going to live in. Uh, my name is Walter McCoy. <laughs> well, I'll thank you to get off our land, Mr. Walter McCoy. Yeah, sure. Sure. I'll get off. Right away? Yes, ma'am. Well? Go on! Lady, I... What's your name? Carrie McKinstry. Miss Carrie McKinstry. So there. Carrie McKinstry. Gee. Sir? We're both Max, Carrie. How dare you! What? A gentleman would address me as Miss McKinstry, sir. Sir, I'd be darned. I don't understand you. I said, look, we're both Max, see? Maybe you're Irish, too. Are you Irish? Irish descent. So are we. Well, what do you know? About what? <laughs> Hello, Irish. Sir, <laughs> you're fresh. You're beautiful. Take care, sir. Hey, do people really talk like that? What people? You live around here? On Ann Eliza Street, down near the firehouse. What are you doing out here? You ask an awful lot of questions. I'm interested. You're a masher. A what? A masher. Don't you try to mash me. Gosh, Miss McKinsey, I wouldn't hurt you. you. Certainly talk strangely, Mr. McCoy. Well, I... I come from a long ways away from here, see? Are you a drummer? No. I used to play a little piano when I was a kid, but... I mean, a traveling man. Well, yes. Uh, yes, you might say I'm a traveling man. Yes, I, 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 uh, I guess I am. What are you doing here? Uh, traveling, I guess. Well, then you travel. Listen, Miss Carey, I have to wait a while. Why? Well, what's that machine thing there? It's a, it's a gadget. Oh. Look. I have to wait a little while. 
Let's you and me sit down and talk for a minute, will you? I'm not in the habit of talking to persons I don't know, Mr. McCoy. Why, you know me. You just call me by my name, Carrie. Why? What? Well, what will we talk about? Let's... Let's talk about the future, Carrie. <laughs> Man, did you ever hear of love at first sight? Yeah, I always thought it was bunk too. It ain't. No, sir. Oh, I wish you could have seen that girl. Red hair, blue eyes. Mm. I said that, though, didn't I? Look, nobody's going to see her. Not me, even. <laughs> we sat there on a pile of dirt and talked. I don't know what we talked about, though. I guess I did most of the talking. I, I told her about automobiles and radio and skyscrapers and airplanes, I, I think. I think I did. And she sat there. And didn't believe a word of it. But she loved it. And it got along toward dark, and we still sat there. And the sun went down across the river, and... Oh, man. Yeah, I kissed her. I forgot for a minute she was Irish. Ouch! Sir, I'll have you know that I'm a respectable girl. And I picked myself up out of the dirt and shoved my jaw back in place. Oh, Walter... Walter, did I hurt you? Walter! And the sound of a voice came back to me. Remember, when I took off on this trip, somebody yelled at me? And I didn't have any more time to think because Carrie had her arms around me and she was crying and kissing me and, yeah, it was love at first sight. Doubled. Carrie McKinstry and Walter McCoy, October 5th, 1897. And then she pushed herself away from me suddenly. There's somebody coming. Uh-huh. Who? Wh where? Down the road. Look. And I looked. <laughs> and I couldn't miss that dapple gray mare, Queenie. And if I hadn't known it was Sheriff Stout, I could hear way down the road the gong on the dashboard of his buggy. And he was heading right for the place he'd found me. It's the Sheriff. G let me out of here. You'll have to hide. Quick. Oh, gracious. What would my father say? Walter. Hide. Yeah, but where? In the cellar. Quick. Jump in. Jump in! I must go down the cellar one of these days and see if my footprints are still down there on the cellar floor. I drove myself right up to the knees jumping in. So I scrambled some dirt over me and squeezed up in the corner. The machine taking away right under my chin. And... And I heard him come running up. Why? How do you do, Sheriff Stout? Uh, howdy, Carrie. They, uh, you seen anything of a miscreant? Miscreant? Heavens to Betsy, no, Sheriff. Uh, I figured he'd come out here where I captured him before. You captured? What? Who is he? He's a doggone counterfeiter, that's who. A counterfeiter? I picked him up for disorderly conduct, and he paid his fine, and all the coins was dated from 1932 to 1947, the fool. Fifty years from now. Oh, no, Sheriff. My goodness, yes. Well, he ain't gonna take me in. I'll put him in jail for a hundred years. You, uh... You sure you ain't seen him, Carrie? I waited in the dirt, holding my breath. 
I waited ten years, it seemed. No. <clears throat> no, Sheriff. I haven't seen anybody. Well, all right. Uh, if you do, though, Carrie, you, uh, you let me know. Might even be some kind of reward. All right. All right, I will. Good night, Sheriff. Now, don't forget. No, I won't forget. You can come out now, counterfeiter. Did I say she had red hair? Yeah. Brother, I've been chewed out by experts, I thought. But Carrie? <laughs> she threw the book at me, and all the time crying. That was rugged. Finally, when she slowed down, she started to talk. Look. I was in love with her. That was the day before yesterday. That was 50 years ago. So I confessed. And I told her all about the machine and how I had to go back with it or be stuck here. No, she didn't believe me at first. But after a while, I guess I convinced her. I know I convinced her. <laughs> and I told her I was in love with her. <laughs> the moon was coming up. She told me she thought she was in love with me. She knew she was in love with me. There's a fix to be in, brother. Well... You can't stay here, Walter. Guess not, but... Oh, Walter, I do love you. I'm a shameless woman. But I love you. You see, I looked at the machine. I had till 8 o'clock the next morning. <laughs> we couldn't sit there in the field all night. I said I'll take you home, Carrie, and we can talk about it on the way. So she said, all right, and we climbed into the buggy and started back to town. You know, you can say what you want about this world we got today, but whoo, you've never been riding along an unpaved road with the hedge fence along one side and big elm trees along lining the other side and a lap rope or over your knees. And a big round harvest moon shining down above the hills up towards Billy Moore's place. And lonesome little lights from kerosene lamps shining out of windows off in the distance. And a girl alongside you. That was a pretty good world they had 50 years ago. A pretty good world. I wish we had it now. Yeah. <laughs> I should have stayed. But I didn't. Well, we got to her house. There wasn't anybody home. Her father was a railroad man and he was out on a run somewhere. Decatur or Springfield or Bloomington or somewhere. We went in the house. I'd seen pictures. She lit a kerosene lamp and there it was. Brother, I should have stayed. Rag carpet on the floor. A pump at the kitchen sink that went. When she pumped water for the coffee. 
There wasn't a tin can in the kitchen cupboard. Yeah. I should have stayed. So we were having a little supper and talking, you know, low voices, eating pork chops and applesauce. And there was an apple pie on the table and coffee and, believe it or not, a mustache cup. And it was awful nice in the yellow light. And there was a... Who's that? And a great big tall woman walked in. She jumped when she saw me. Oh, well, excuse me. Why, why, good evening, Mrs. Stout. I didn't know you had company, Carrie, or I wouldn't have come bursting in like this. Oh, it's all right, Mrs. Stout. Mrs. Stout, this is Mr. McCoy. Oh, Pleased to meet you, Mr. McCoy. How do you do? Why, I've been poorly, but I'm tolerable now, thank you. Are you a stranger in town, Mr. McCoy? Mr. McCoy is a stranger in town. <laughs> well, my goodness. Nice and cozy, ain't it? Think your father'd approve, Carrie? I mean, not that it's any of my business, of course, but... <laughs> It is a little odd, isn't it, Mr. McCoy? Yes. Uh, yes, it, it's very odd. Mr. McCoy is a friend of mine, Mrs. Stout. Well, I should think so. Mrs. Stout lives next door, Walter. I forgot to tell you. I see. And Mr. Stout lives there, too. Well, of course. He's up at the county jail quite a lot. He's the sheriff, you know. Yes, I know. Yes, we know. He's out looking for a miscreant someplace. Is he? A stranger in town. Is that so? He'll be home any minute. Maybe he'll drop in. Oh, well, I... I gotta be going. Yes, Walter is in a hurry. He just stopped in for a... a bite to eat. Mm-hmm. Well, I just happened to see that rig from Bill Kelly's livery stable out front and thinks I, what's that rig doing out front in McKitten Street? And so I decided to stop in for a minute. Well, ah, where did you say you come from? Did you say, Mr... what was the name? Why, uh, um... Hey? McCoy, Mrs. Stout. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought Carrie said. Well... Good night. Good night. Good night. Walter. I get it. Look what I've done to you. It's all right, honey. If I can get out of here before Stout comes home, she'll... She'll tell him. You kidding? Sure she will. Well, I'm going to see how fast that horse of Mr. Kelly's is. You'll have to hurry, Walter. Oh, Walter. Darling. Can't be helped, honey. But I wish that I could... Oh, Walter. You will come back, won't you? You bet I'll come back. And I'll make another one of these machines and I'll come and get you. Listen. He's in there, John. He's right in there with Carrie McKinstry. Come out of that, counterfeiter. Come out. Back door. Walter, quick. You hear me? Come out of that, McCoy. I'll come back, Carrie. I'll come back. I love you. Hurry. Hurry. I'm coming in there. Here. Kiss me. Quick. Oh, Walter, I love you. I love you. Come back. Come back. I'll come back. Where'd he go? Hurry, Walter, run! Run! And I ran. 
Brother, how I ran. Over a board fence, and I could hear the sheriff yelling right behind me, and the machine was ticking. Ticking, and I was wishing it was 8 o'clock, and wondering what happened when I did come back to 1897. And then... And I was dodging an automobile in a street in Pekin, Illinois. The machine was set for 8 o'clock, and it was 8 o'clock. Only 12 hours earlier than I'd figured. So I walked out here. And I kept wondering, <laughs> what happened to Sheriff Stout when I disappeared? What happened to Bill Kelly's horse and buggy? What happened to Gary McKinstry? Well, I came in the house. I turned on the light. I didn't see anybody at first. I heard her voice first. Walter. There in my easy chair was an old, old woman. And she spoke to me again. I waited so long. Fifty years I've waited, Walter. And you didn't come. When I came to, there wasn't anybody in the house but me. Just me and a time machine. I told you this place of mine is close to the cemetery road. There's a funeral going by on the road now. I don't need to ask who it is. It's an old lady, 74 years old, who waited and waited and waited for a sweetheart that never came back. So there isn't any use keeping a time machine anymore, is there? She said I never came back. And she knew. You have listened to Quiet Please, Not Enough Time, which is written by Willis Cooper and directed by Chuck and Megan Mara. Walter, the person who spoke to you was Alex Mortensen. Carrie was played by Margot Burrow. Sheriff Stout was Andrew Heil. And Mrs. Stout was Wendy Rosoff. This episode of Quiet Please was originally aired on October 6, 1947, by the Mutual Broadcast System. This recreation comes to you from Los Angeles and is produced by Foley Mara Studios. So until next week at this time, I am quietly yours, Alex Mortensen. <laughs>